Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics. Today we hear the guest, Sam Rayner, who is a pastor at a West Bradenton Baptist Church and the author of a fascinating new book we're going to discuss today called Church Revitalization. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, glad to be with you guys. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sean. Uh, honored to be on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to help out your audience however I can. Well, this book is Focus on Pastors, and I want to encourage our v- listeners, if they're not pastors today, to get a copy of this book because it's short, it's to the point, it's practical. But what we want to talk about in this uh, kind of podcast episode today are some larger questions about the church and get your insight, not only because you're a pastor, also because you do a ton of research on what's happening in the present church today. And one of the things that surprised me that encouraged me is you start off the book at the beginning saying you are hopeful about the post-pandemic church. Tell us about that. Yeah, I actually started writing this book. The idea came about before the pandemic. And uh, as the pandemic hit, I, I really started rethinking you know, what, what the book needed to be. Uh, and I had some time to write. So I was writing a lot you know, while we were all under quarantine for a season there. And I just thought, you know, there's, there seems to be a lot of negativity out there about the church, and it's warranted. Uh, you know, there's things to critique, particularly about the American church. This, this book is, is, is geared more towards the North American church. I mean, we could obviously talk about what's going on in Africa, um, China, uh, other places of the world, um, and that would be a completely different conversation. So the book's geared towards North America. And I thought, you know, I think that there are bright days ahead. Now, I'm not trying to be prophetic. Uh, I'm just saying I think that there could be some good days ahead if we hmm. start doing what we should be doing. And so I wrote the book um, because, you know, I thought if we just walk through this checklist, and this is a church revitalization checklist, if we just walk through this checklist, I think a lot of churches could move to a better place of health. And if we have a large amount of churches moving to a better place of health, well, then the church as a whole in North America is going to, to get to a, to a better place. And so it really is just a, a book that has a hopeful tone and some steps to help you get your church into a healthier spot. I think that's a, a, a wonderful voice that I appreciate you speaking yet. It's also realistic. And one of the lines you said, the church in general is not well. So you're hopeful. But you also recognize you might be saying that the church, to some degree, is sick. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, well, if you if you just look at you know attendance, just some very basic metrics, evangelism, um, anybody that's ever you know that's tracking this data, uh, you can clearly see a decline in people that are connected to the church, people that are coming less frequently. In fact, that's one of the main reasons churches decline is because people just start coming less often. Um, you know, if you had a church where everyone was coming four out of four, let's say you have a church of a hundred and everyone's coming four out of four weeks, well, they go two out of four weeks now. Your, you know, your church of a hundred is now fifty. Um, it's cut in half, even though you really haven't lost anybody. Your attendance is cut in half, and numbers aren't the only thing, of course. But you know, I, I see, uh, I, I see a lot of churches struggling with evangelism and outward focus. I see a lot of churches struggling with assimilation. Um, you know, the whole idea of reaching them and, and keeping them. The churches just aren't doing that. And then I see the, the people that are there not coming as often. So, you know, there is a problem. 
in, in the church. And it's not just a practical problem in terms of attendance. It's also a spiritual problem in terms of a, a lack of, of practicing the spiritual disciplines. I mean, you just do the raw numbers on who's reading their Bibles every day, and it's not nearly enough people. Uh, Sam, let's go back just to the church during COVID. Lots of churches had to make a lot of adaptations. Uh, what, are, what were some of the main ones that you saw churches having to make, and which, one of, which of these adaptations do you think will likely be with us for the longer term? Yeah, we, we, uh, we treated everything like a blank slate at West Bradenton. So, you know, we, were, um, we, we stopped our in-person services for a season. Um, just while we were trying to figure everything out, we didn't know what this virus was. We thought the best thing to do was for us to pause our in-person gatherings, which we did. During that time, we put together a best case, worst case, you know, uh, expected case sort of scenarios, and everything ended up being the worst case. So, you know, it's. I remember, I remember being in a room with my church council and staff, and just said, "All right, I think worst case, we're out for 10, 10 weeks. I think this is like a, and we lose, you know, a certain portion of the budget. It, it, it just stretched on and on and on and on. So, um, you know, we definitely had to make some changes. We really ask ourselves what's what's most important, and we really focused in on our families. Um, we focused in on uh, becoming a, a multi ethnic church, which we're on our way there. We're not arrived yet, but we're on our way there. And and we focused on the neighborhood, and we're, we call ourselves a neighborhood church for the nations. And so we really just narrowed in on this idea of being a neighborhood church. Uh, we're crammed up against the coast here in Florida. You guys are in California. You probably know what that means. We're not exactly urban, but we're certainly not suburban either. We're we're coastal. And we live in a pretty dense area. And so we just said, hey, we're at 1305 43rd Street West. Let's uh, let's just reach the people right around us. And so we really narrowed in on the neighborhood. We focused acutely on neighborhood ministry. And uh, we started thinking about how, how do we reflect our community that is 40% ethnic minority. And we started making some progress there. Uh, we stripped away a lot of things that were ancillary. Uh, we refocused the budget. We even restructured the staff a little bit uh, to accommodate this ministry. So we did a lot of things. One of the things that was most felt by the church was our worship experience. We completely changed the way we did our worship experience. When we started regathering, we didn't have classes for kids. So we knew that kids would be worshiping with us in, in the worship space. Mm. And uh, we actually started gearing the worship service for kids. Uh, I split my sermon in half. We had a children's sermon right in the middle of it. Uh, we flip-flop the service to where we do one song and then a sermon, and then the rest of the songs come after the sermon. That's the one you ask, what did we, what did we keep? Uh, that's one thing we kept. People loved the way that we restructured the worship service. So we now do uh, just a quick intro, a song, and then I preach, and then we do the bulk of our singing uh, at the end. Hmm. Um, and it's just it's gone over extraordinarily well for our church, certainly not saying it's for every church, but um, that was just one little thing that we changed that we would have never thought to change if it weren't for the opportunity of the pandemic. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, it was, it was a lot of fun. We, we, uh, we tried to have as much fun as we could <laughs> during what was a very difficult season. You listed that thousands of churches die every year. And at first, I think our reaction would be, oh, no, that's terrible. But on the other hand, there's probably a time that some churches should die and their season maybe of ministry is done. Uh, would you agree with that? And if so, how do we know when it's time to just let a church go and not try to revitalize it? categorically disagree mm. on every account. 
No church should die, period, full stop. If you believe that God can save any person, then he can save any church. Hmm. To take the posture that you think that some churches should just die is tantamount to saying some people should just go to hell. I do not believe that, and I think that we should do everything we can to save every church that we can. Now, there's ways to do... Now, some churches will die because they're just not doing what they should be doing, and that's on them. But to say some churches should die, you as an outsider looking at that church saying they should just die, categorically disagree. I think that we should do everything we can to help churches. We've started uh, fostering um, churches. We have adopted churches. We've done that here at West Bradenton. We planted other churches. So, um, you know, part of fostering is taking in an unhealthy church and coming alongside of them, sending, sending them people and resources for six to 12 months and getting them back to where they need to be. We've done that. We've also adopted a church where they became part of our family. I prefer that over the, t- the merger term. Um, so we've adopted a Southside campus. What was Southside Baptist is now the Southside campus of the West Bradenton Church, which is really strange because West Bradenton's no longer in the West. Southside was not in the South because the city's grown around it. <laughs> and now we've got West Bradenton Southside Campus, which it's neither West nor South, and it's really confusing, but you know, it is what it is. So I think that churches should be working together to make sure that these kingdom outposts, these places of ministry, these spots on every street corner in some towns, there needs to be kingdom work there. So I don't, I don't like going around saying that kingdom work should die there. Uh, I would rather say let's revitalize what is there and figure out a way to get them working the way that they should work. So do you, you hold that every church is a candidate for revitalization? Every single church, every single one, in the same way I believe that every single person is a candidate for salvation. Right. That means they will get saved. Yeah, no, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm not a universalist. Doesn't mean they will get saved, but I think that they should get saved, and the same with churches. So what do you mean by the term revitalization as applied to the church? What, 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 can you be a little bit more precise on what that involves? Yeah, church revitalization is taking a church that's on the wrong trajectory. It's headed down the wrong road. It's, it's not doing what it should be doing and getting it on a new path of health. The timelines on that are obviously, you know, varied, and they're all over the place. You know, some churches can be revitalized in a couple of years. Other churches, it's going to take them 20 years to turn around. So revitalization is a broad umbrella under which things like adoption, fostering, relaunching, mergers, you know, there's a lot of things that fall underneath that umbrella. So I use revitalization in a very broad sense that let's take this church that is unhealthy or not doing what it should be doing and help the church get to a better place. Let's also realize that some churches are healthy in certain areas and unhealthy in other areas. And so many times a pastor will come in and say, you know what, we're doing these three things good, but these three or four other areas really need to be revitalized. Revitalization doesn't even necessarily mean that the whole of the church is bad. It just means that pieces of the, even pieces of the church could, could use some help. And most, you're talking established churches. You're talk, talking churches that are, you know, 20, 30 years old, most of them, and upwards of 200 to 300 years old, depending on how long they've been around. Sam, are there some characteristics that uh, you would say un- unhealthy churches have in common that, that need to be addressed in, in order to be revitalized? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a laundry list, and right at the top is a lack of evangelism. Next would be a, a lack of assimilation, poor attendance frequency, 
uh, valuing traditions over um, the mission of God, um, elevating nostalgia above personal devotion. I mean, th- there's just a, a long list of things that could, that cause a church uh, to die, not reflecting its community, not caring about its community, not uh, not serving the community. There's there's lots of things that are there. But I'd say, I, honestly, I think that, you know, at the, at the top of the list is evangelism, assimilation, and uh, service and connection to the community. Not not doing those things. We had a pastor friend at our house a couple days ago, and uh, he just said, he goes, you know, I'm feeling... I'm just tired right now. I'm I'm weary. And it was a combination of things and COVID had a lot to do with it. Is his experience just kind of individualistic? Are you seeing that from a lot of pastors today? I guess I want to know how are pastors feeling right now? Yeah, well this is something we we certainly deal with at Church Answers. I'm I'm president of a company that serves, you know, 2000 subscribers and worldwide reaches 6 to 8 million. Um, so we're constantly hearing from people, uh, constantly hearing from pastors. You know, this is this is something that everybody is feeling. Yeah, everybody is tired. I'm calling it the great reshuffling. You're, you know, everyone's thinking about leaving the ministry. You're leaving their church, and mm. uh, some are are falling away. Unfortunately, some are doing some things they shouldn't be doing, and that's why they're falling away. Other other people are just tired. There are those who have unfortunately lost loved ones uh, during this season. Uh, some of them to COVID, and they're they're making that assessment in their own personal life. You know, how do I how do I want to care for this particular family member who is now a widower, a widower? You know, I, you know, I've got a parent who's aging. Um, I'm a baby boomer, and you know, I thought I was going to last till I'm 70, but no, no, there's no way. I'm you know, I'm getting out in a year or two after I get the church through this. So there are a lot of pastors that are that are feeling down, that are feeling tired. Uh, that don't know what the future holds. They're uncertain. So I think that that's a pretty common phenomenon. I would also say that it's a common phenomenon in a lot of different professions. I think you could say the same of educators. I think you could say the same of healthcare professionals. In fact, they hmm. they probably have it even worse. I know they have it worse than pastors do. So it's not, it's, it's a, in a qualitative research sense, we're talking about something that's a phenomenon, right? Something that we're all experiencing together. And if you're, to, there's going to be some, qualitative researcher that does an incredible study, a phenomenological study on, you know, what pastors are feeling during the pandemic. You know, they're going to analyze all this stuff and give us some answers. But I think anecdotally, we can say, yeah, yeah, I think a lot, you, you, you know, you're, it's hard pressed to find a pastor that's just like really encouraged right now, just on fire. Everything's great. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know that there's a whole, there may be, they're probably out there, but I, I don't think that that's the, the norm. So Sam, if that's, if that's the case, that there are a lot of pastors who are depleted and you know running on low energy reserves. I think since the majority of our listeners are church members and not pastors, what can they as church members do to to better support, encourage, hold up uh, the pastor who you know they I think they view primarily it's the pastor's job to support them, not vice versa. Yeah. And, and generally, that's true. I mean, the shepherd of the congregation is there to serve. So I'd say generally, you know, the pastor being set apart to serve is 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 true. That being said, it is to be a reciprocal relationship. I mean, you're not there just to feed off the pastor. That that's not a very healthy healthy relationship at all. You know, this idea of I'm I'm here to consume, or hey, what have you done for me lately? Or um, hey, I'm just not getting out of anything out of this church. You know, that's uh, those are not good places to be spiritually. That being said, 
one of the easiest things to do is just write an encouraging note. Get that church address out and write a handwritten note and just say, hey, you're appreciated. You're loved. You know, I, I, re, I really enjoyed the sermon two weeks ago. You know, just some basic things. Uh, when you when you see them, tell them that. Uh, and And those are just common things that work for a spouse or a boss or a subordinate. Uh, it works for everybody in just about every relationship you have. So the things that work in other relationships, just apply that to your pastor and do those things. Uh, and I would say visible forms of encouragement, whether it be a handwritten note or a shout out on social media or something, uh, that that's a good way to to start. Or 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 certificates to Amazon. You know, uh, there you go. Gift cards to, to you know, <laughs> you know, there's or whatever local books. If there's a local bookstore that sells theological books then that might be a good way to go, because uh, every pastor... I, I don't know that I've ever met a pastor that just didn't love books of some sort, so mm. whether it be digital or print, um, just a gift card to... A gift card to I, I had a church member give me a gift card to McDonald's the other day, because they know that I brew my coffee at home, and uh, but on Sundays, I get, I get McDonald's coffee. And I said that in a sermon illustration or something, gave me a $25 gift card wow. to, to McDonald's. And they're like, this will get you by for like 15 weeks. This is 15 <laughs> say, That'll cover you for a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I think it's $1.70. It's $1.70 at McDonald's, the large coffee, two creams. And so they knew that because I, I think I said it in a sermon. And they just said, I want you to enjoy coffee on me for the next, what, 10, 15 minutes. That's great. <laughs> That's, That's great. awesome. It's twenty five bucks, and man, every time I go to McDonald's, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, you know, Connie. Connie really encouraged me because she gave me a twenty five dollar gift card to, to McDonald's because she knows that's where I get my coffee. I think I'd mention in my next message that I like <laughs> filet mignon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and see what happens. That's awesome. I also like candy corn, which I know is crazy and it's completely irrelevant to the topic at hand. But I have four bags of candy corn in my <laughs> office right now because church <laughs> members know that. And uh, every every time this year they go and they get like the first dibs at Walgreens, and they bring me candy corn. That's awesome. Hey, Sam, talk a little bit about church growth today. You mentioned evangelism is down, but there are some churches that are growing. Is it through births, church transfer, some evangelism? What are we seeing in the church as a whole? Uh, yeah, almost every church is in decline uh, mm. post-COVID. So I, 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 we've done the study, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, uh, it's less than 5% of churches right now that are actually growing. Wow. Um, so it's, it's very few, very, very few. In fact, the average church is 20% smaller post-COVID. So mm. the lar- and the larger you are, the greater that percentage is. So if you're a very large uh, single-site you know, church in particular, um, multi-site churches are faring a little better because they have smaller venues. But if you're a large single-site church, you're 50, 60%. That, that's pretty typical right now. Smaller churches may be, you know, 80, 90% of where they were post-pandemic, but just about every church is smaller. Um, so the ones that are growing uh, are the ones that are very intentionally reaching out to the neighborhood and the community right around the church. That's the secret sauce is you were planted at a particular address. You were there for a reason. God has sovereignly planted you at your location. 1305 43rd Street West is our location. God has sovereignly planted us at that location to minister to the people around us. And I believe that firmly, that God wants us to do ministry until Christ returns at this location. And those churches that figure that out, okay, we, are, we have a God-given address and the purpose of this church is to serve and to reach the people right around us. 
The churches that are doing that, they're the ones that are doing the best right now. Sam, we often ask, ask our seminary students who are serving in various churches, we say, you know, when we talk about the, the importance of serving your community and, and being out there like you're talking about, we ask them to just be honest with us and say, if your church closed its doors, how long would it, would it be before the community actually noticed that you were gone? Uh, and we get some really inter- some really interesting answers from some of our students who are in churches that are much more insular and much much more ingrown. So I have I've had some students say, you know, probably other than the real estate people, it might be a long time yep. before the community noticed that we weren't there. You're you're saying that that's really the secret sauce is that the commu- that you're out there in the community, active, serving, ministering, so that if you closed your doors, people would notice almost immediately that you were gone. Yeah, I mean, the secret sauce is something called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, and it's been that way since they were given. Uh, now, practically, what does that look like in your neighborhood? Well, the way that looks in your neighborhood is you need to ask the question, what are the greatest problems in the neighborhood, and how can our church be part of the solution? So we've got a bad heroin problem here in Bradenton. Uh, you can Google mm. it and just see. It's just bad here, which produces a lot of kids in the foster system. So one of the things that we did as a church is we said, okay, one of the problems is heroin, and the result of that problem is a lot of kids in the foster system. So let's foster. And you know, my family fosters. We've fostered several kids. We've adopted one. We've got about 20-ish foster kids in any given time in our church because we've got several families that, that foster. And we just ask a very simple question. What's the biggest problem in the community, and how can we help solve it? And I get, I get it all the time. Like, how do I, okay, I'm supposed to be in the community. How do I do that? All right, just start just start fostering. Get three or four families to foster in your church, and you're going to be connected to everything in the community, the court system, the school system, uh, the, the preschools, the families, the extended families, and you're going to be right in the mess of everything. So that's just one very simple thing that you can do. Start fostering. And not everyone is called to foster. I get that. But the whole church can support the two, three, or four, ten families that do foster. And just start there. That's a great place to start. Most communities have a need for people to take in foster children. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's fair to say that there's uh, you know an, an individual may say I'm not called to foster, but I don't think you can say that of an entire church. Mm. I, I agree. And you get so, a bunch of amens at my church if you came and you said that this church is called yeah. to foster. Yes, yeah, they would say absolutely we're called to do it because it's the, it's a big problem in our community. These children need homes. Start there. But Bradenton, I take, is a pretty racially diverse area. Yeah, it's um, it, it's about the, on par with the rest of Florida. You know, we're not any, we're we're not quite Miami, but at the same time, we're you know we're forty percent ethnic minority, uh, mainly Latino, but uh, black as well. What's your sense of how the church, you know, across the country is doing when it comes to racial diversity? Terrible. Is it is it get, is it getting any better? <laughs> well, I think in spots it is, and and I actually put out a a blog post on this at Church Answers about, you know, the decline of the all-white church in the next 10 years, and I do think that that's going to happen because the, just about every county in the United States is growing in diversity. I mean, literally like 99% of all counties in the United States are growing in, in racial diversity, and the only, the the white population declined for the first time uh, in 2020 um, with the census. Uh, it declined for the first time. The white population declined for the first time since 1790. So the there is the growth of our na- all of the growth of our nation, all of it, is with 
people of different races. And I understand, you know, there's a difference between race and ethnicity and all that. So just bear with me as I, you know, you know, blend some of these terms together. And I certainly don't mean to offend, but we're growing in, in diversity in our in our nation. And and that's a good thing. I think that's that's great. I welcome it. I know not everyone may, but I do. Um, and I think some churches are capturing that. And the churches that understand it, particularly with the younger generation, will be the ones that benefit. So, you know, our preschool is, you know, minority white here in uh, in Bradenton, and our children's ministry here at West Bradenton is uh, is close to being, I would call, multi ethnic, and our student ministry certainly is. Um, so it's the younger generation where this is going to grow, and the churches that really focus on being more diverse with younger families are the ones that I think will benefit the most long term. Uh, yeah, in the next couple of years, are we going to see racial tension? You know, still, you know, out there. Of course, we are. Racism is a sin, and it's not going to go away because it's a sin issue. It's like we're just wishfully thinking that you know lying is going to go away. It's it's not. You just constantly have to deal with it. And I think racism is part of that. So is it improving? Is the church improving? I think in spots, but overall, I think that there is a long way to go um, with the church and racial diversity. Sam, I've got a last question for you. There's a lot of talk about the church dying today. As a whole, I, I know it's hard to make predictions, but are some of those overstated? Is are we seeing more today less people defining themselves as Christians who maybe never really were? So we're seeing kind of a clarity in those who are Jesus followers. What would you say as a whole to the dying church and how it fares moving forward, in particular more the evangelical conservative church? Yeah, well, the church has been dying since the Scopes Monkey Trial, right? I mean, people have been saying this since evolution came about, you know, in the, and I guess this really got heated in the 1920s in the United States. And, you know, everyone was saying, if, if you don't get on board with this new agenda, if you don't, if, if the church is just going to die, science is going to kill the church. We've been hearing that for who knows, well, about a hundred years. Is, is the church going to die in North America? No. It's not. Are <laughs> uh, individual churches going to struggle? Are certain tribes going to struggle? That you know, uh, yeah. Are certain denominations going to struggle? Yes. Uh, are we going to see less people attending church in the future? Probably. But I think the core that remains is very strong, um, and particularly if you're talking even and, and when you say evangelical, I mean goodness, that's one of those terms that you, you kind of almost have to define what you mean by that. But I think I know what you mean by that, and sure, um, you know, I consider myself an evangelical. That may or may not be a term that rings true for some, but I, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Believe in the fundamentals of the faith, and um, I think for those that are in the camp of being evangelical believers in the fundamentals of the faith, I think you're going to see a lot of churches that remain strong, um, the core of people uh, that believe remaining strong. And then the question becomes: Is that core? I mean, we've lost. We're going to lose the people on the periphery. The pandemic's already done that to some degree, and, and it's going to continue. But is the core going to rise up? and actually do what God has called them to do, or actually get out there and accomplish the mission of God. That's what my book is about. I think we can. I really believe that the church can start doing good things, and we can experience a new wave of church growth. And, and I don't mean church growth in a numerical sense so much as it is just a wave of churches being healthy, vital in their communities, and 
having you know having a, a presence that is uh, impactful to to the people around them, and and winning people to Christ. I, I think all that can happen. Is it is it a done deal that it will happen? No, no, we're not in a good place right now. But that's why I wrote the church revitalization church revitalization checklist is to just say, all right, here's here's some things to think about. Well, you know, here's a checklist. What what are these? How are you doing in these areas? And let's get to work one one thing at a time. And I think that the future can be bright, and I'm hopeful that it will be bright. Uh, but it is going to take churches of all sizes and backgrounds to really get about God's mission. Sam, I love your enthusiasm and your passion for this, that this isn't just academic, but you're pastoring a local church and putting these things into practice and guiding other pastors to do the same kind of thing. I hope our listeners will pick up a copy of your book, Church Revitalization, and give it to their pastor, not by saying, hey, our church needs to be revitalized in the sense, in that sense, but maybe just say, hey, heard this podcast, heard this guy called Sam Rayner talking about this book, thought it'd be helpful to you in the ministry. Let me know if I can help in any fashion. Would be a wonderful gift for pastors. Like you said earlier, pastors love books and they love to read. Thanks so much for coming on. And again, uh, for our listeners, pick up a copy of Church Revitalization by Sam Rayner. Sam, thanks so much for joining us on the Think Biblical Podcast. It was an honor to be with you. Thank you both. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. The Think Biblically Podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We offer programs in Southern California and online now including an accelerated Bible theology and ministry program that allows students to earn a bachelor's and master's degree together in five years. So visit biola.edu slash Talbot to learn more. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and please consider sharing it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening and remember, think biblically about everything.